1: I asked the question, "What does money smell like to you, uh, Sean? How about you? I, I'm just curious. What does money smell like to you?"
2: That's a that's a really good question. Uh, to me, it smells clean, which which what? sounds like you know that's probably the opposite of true. Um, but it just does. It it smells fresh and clean to me. You know, there's that inky smell, but that's what goes through my head for for no logical reason but that's is maybe the opposite of of the way I'm supposed to be answering this question but one time
3: we were walking through a barn um uh, my grandma and I and my sisters were walking through a barn full of horses and it, hurt. it smelled like a barn full of horses yeah meaning it, it smelled like <laughs> horse manure <laughs> and my grandma yeah. she grew up in a on a farm in East Texas she goes smells like money (laughs) (laughs) and that has always stuck with me she's not wrong about that that's what i thought of when you asked the question
1: oh that's funny well another texas story i grew up in west texas and i used to ask this question to my students at texas tech and i can't tell you how many times i got the answer cattle cattle with cotton why because that's what they grew. That is that is West Texas. is well, right. Right. That's
3: what turned into money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what turned into it. For me, money stinks. I'm just the opposite of you, Sean. It yeah. is a dirty, nasty stuff. But I think that became from my very early, like working at a bank in my very early on. It just stunk. It was nasty. I remember a woman which, <laughs> in the middle of the West Texas summer coming in when it was really hot and sweaty and giving me information she reached down in the middle of her bra and pulled out uh. a lot of cash and <laughs> set it on the counter that had stuck with me and that oh, was no. not money I wanted to touch it stopped pretty bad right <laughs> so I think that those are really interesting questions this is nothing that you would think oh why would you ask that question but it starts conversations right about how you started to formulate that idea Sean I really like your discussion about the spouse that grew up with money and now she needed to be more aware of it, but wasn't, that totally makes sense because there was always more money, it sounds like, where she grew up. There was always a way to get more money. And so changing these mindsets is not a one-time conversation. It's a long-term, it's a slow-moving ship, kind of on the helm of a ship. It moves very slowly by a very small helm. Same thing here is the very small decisions we make can move that trajectory uh, forward. So you asked for some more stories. Another story I have um, is I remember a client specifically that was in a very difficult situation. There were two government workers uh, with security clearances. They were about to lose their job. And quite honestly, they were heading towards bankruptcy. And I remember talking to long and uh, discussing some of the implications of that. And all of a sudden it came out as I asked more questions that both sets of parents on both sides had declared bankruptcy multiple times. In fact, one wow. set of parents had declared bankruptcy so many times they had to left the country and went to work mm. live in a third world country. And that was the moment it hit me. This has become a generational expectation. That's what you do when you get into a hard spot. And that had been passing out for at least two generations. And we had quite frank discussion of that's what's going to happen with your children. And that's what they're saying. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, that sounds super negative. And so like, oh, we're passing down all these money histories and biases because we could talk all day about the negative side. But think about all of the small things. I remember um, a couple who were savers in the Great Depression. My grandmother grew up in the Great Depression as well. I remember going to her house and she cut off the edges of the moldy cheese and kept eating it. Right. Like there are so many yeah. stories that come out of that Great Depression of just you make do with what you've bought and you keep on going. And I think those are stories of resilience as well. But taken the extreme on either ends, it's out of balance. And that's what we're trying to do is bring in the balance of, yes, it's great to say it's also okay to spend too. And so having these conversations and understanding why someone may be more of a saver than they need to be and why yeah. someone else may be more of a spender than they need to be starts to start the conversation and the discussion around like seeing their own behavior. And that's where behavior change begins is when that communications.
2: Yeah. You know, I used to think that the behavior would change in someone when I would show them the numbers, you know, and, you uh, okay, you're, you're 65. <laughs> you are going to run out of, you're pain. fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're gonna, you should change your behavior. Uh, no, but we, now, you know, you, what I, what I found was that the behaviors and as a result of somebody's money story, those decisions they would make as a result of their money story, would get them to a point of arrival where they had enough financial wherewithal to to retire. And so their spending had always been well below their means. They had always lived a very modest life. And this, this story is repeated time and time again. And so what I used to think when I started doing this work is, I'll show them the numbers, and they will start flying first class. They'll not buy a Chevy. They'll buy a Cadillac. They'll travel, no. you know, rather than, you know, <laughs> to the next town over. They'll travel international. They'll do all these things because I've shown them that they have the money. And, you know, you're laughing, Mary. <laughs> I can see you laughing it because you know that that is so naive. They weren't going to change. Their money story mm-hmm. decisions tr- transfer through their whole life. And they were just going the habits that worked well for them. And they got good results from those decisions. They weren't about to change that decision-making structure or framework just because I showed them a spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> Spreadsheets don't change behavior. Maybe that's no. the big underline from this. Spreadsheets don't change behavior. I remember being in the bank in Midland, Texas. Midland is a, a well, it's a, a boom yeah. town. So yes. uh, high more, income, more high millionaires
3: not. per capita than anywhere else in the country. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Welcome to Midland, Texas. I worked at a, a large bank there and I remember vividly watching people walk in, right? And you would see the what I don't know what the right terminology is, but the ones who showed their wealth, right? The word yeah, show yeah. or and I'm gonna put wealthy boats right here because those were the ones that also came to my window was like, I gave me their credit card and said I need another cash advance for the weekend. I mean, they were overspent. There was nothing left in the bank account. The most rich one, the ones that would floor me when I pull up their bank account, were this, the old rancher in his overalls driving the beat up pickup truck that he parked around the corner because he didn't want to have to pay for parking and coming in. And he had more money than all the rest of them combined. That was to me the moment that I was like, "Oh, that's what the idea." One of my favorite books of all times is "The Millionaire Next Door" by oh, Thomas Stanley, great and it's book. fantastic because he talks about it. It's Big hat, no cattle, and that's what we knew in Texas. You were a big hat. You were a big show off of that, but had nothing to show for it. And those that had it didn't want it. It was very much uh, close to their best. And so, so how do you,
2: how do you find that once people have expressed this money story, you're talking about this this mm-hmm. sort of history, that they're able to most effectively utilize that, that in. That expressed information, maybe that was buried until you asked the question, use that information to make better decisions.
1: Yeah, one of the my favorite things to do with clients is walk them through what I call a spending plan project. I do this with both my my students, who most are master's degree uh, level, and financial planners themselves. And I literally have them track their spending. So they come up with what they think they're spending at the first of the month on one side. Then for a month, they track it um, to the penny every uh, week. And at the end of the month, they reconcile that and they see. And the reason that I love that so much is it starts to show you on paper. So, Sean, it sounds like you're a numbers guy and like to use numbers. For those that like the numbers, you're able to see not not as the planner. It's like putting your numbers in an app. It's just going to spit out information and information is everywhere, right? But for me, if I start doing that myself and tracking it, I start to see my own behavior changes and i have done this with hundreds of students um many of who are in the financial nutrition and say this was a life-changing experience for me because oh. it's not me writing back and saying hey you should not have spent on that gucci purse or you should have bought this or you shoulda have, shoulda have, shoulda have, right it's them seeing it in real life being able to say oh That's what Sean meant when he handed me these numbers and said, I'm running out of money. That's what he meant. And this is where that leak is. And they make that determination themselves to make those behavior changes. And how long do you have people do that for? Um, the best is three months. If you can do it up to three months, uh, if yeah. I can get someone to do it for one month and just get them in the habit, but things come in three three months is, is ideal. It,
3: so, so what are they doing? Are they getting to the end of the month and looking backwards? Are they writing everything down for the week? Are they tracking it every one, day? How often are they tracking it?
1: The way that I like to run it is they start at the beginning of the month and they just write everything down, but they think they're going to spend on this. And it changes month to month. Your December looks different than your July, et cetera. And so they'll write it down at the beginning of the month, and then every week, at least once a week, they're sitting down and putting pen to paper, right? And it could be oh, done so as spreadsheet, yeah.
3: At least weekly check in.
1: At least that makes and so much sense. And then at the end of the month, I actually have them reflect back. So we don't even look at the numbers too much. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. It's their reflection. Uh, for my students, I actually have them write a whole paper on this: of what did you, what surprised you, what did surprised surprise you, what did you expect. And where, where do you think those uh, changes would come from? That, to me, is asking those questions is more important than what's actually on the paper and what those numbers mean. Because then that starts to tell you where the grant's willing to change the behavior or the spouse or whatever else. I actually have couples do this. Um, I remember one student came in and said, if you want me to get divorced, you'll have me do this. And I said, I'm not looking for divorce but I am looking for a conversation. And so it really is painful for some. And it's some of the first times they've ever had a discussion about money with their spouse. It's when they sit yeah. down to do a project I mean, like
3: in it. my experience, I'm, I'm talking with, generally speaking, wealthy clients and generally speaking, people who care about money. If they're the, not both of those things, then I usually don't meet them. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And, and, and still, when I ask people how much they're spending... I've never had anyone be right on their first guess. Ever, yeah. ever, ever. No. I've never said <laughs> yeah. how much are you spend and somebody goes, ah, twenty three thousand a month. And then we look at yep. it and they're right. Most yep. of the time when I ask, they can't even begin to have an answer. They they don't uh-huh. even they don't even have they can't even guess. And I and I'll say, Well, to the nearest thousand. You're um, right. Maybe, maybe to the nearest 5,000. The number is so right. big that to the nearest 1,000. Right. Just 1, give me a ballpark number. And yeah. I will push them to basically, oh my gosh, Mary, please just say any number so I can move on. And <laughs> right. they won't say a number. Yeah. And they'll start counting in their head. They'll start, well, I'll have to look.
2: And They start real granular. Yeah. And, and it's it been $37 on lunch yesterday. Yeah, so if I do that <laughs> six times a week,
3: that's going to be. But, and I tell them, I'm like, look, where this means that we need to figure out what the number right and i'm not so concerned right now with what the number is i'm more concerned that you know what the number is um yeah. you know and the same thing's true in business it's like if i say oh what was your revenue last quarter uh, i don't know <laughs> um okay We're in well trouble. first before we figure out if it needs to go up down or sideways you got to know what it
2: is <laughs> yeah
3: you know yeah. you need to know what your quarterly priorities are you need to know what your kpis are you need to know the numbers in your business well, you need to know the numbers in your your family as well and knowing it's the first step. So I imagine that makes all the sense to me that you're saying by tracking it, a function of tracking it alone is, uh, you know, you see positive benefits. Yeah, but for boom. sure. Because doing that is one step to increase their awareness from basically zero to now total and complete awareness.